This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com. Today I would like to acknowledge the passing of Chester Burroughs, former MP, lawyer, detective and archdeacon, who recently passed away. He was of tremendous help to me with federated farmers and clan Cameron activities. He was extremely helpful helping me get Neil McLean, senior coroner, to speak to federated farmers and Harbour, but that was a little while ago. Good morning New Zealand and all of a sudden the weather has taken a turn for the better so welcome to another edition of Neville Rides the Boundaries coming to you from Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio, Radio Hawke's Bay and Arrow Radio Masterson and I'm Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara. In the lineup today I have Lynn Webster, Barbara Curriger, Philip Duncan and the Master of Satire Jim Hopkins. Okay, let's start with Lynn Webster, a.k.a. Pig Tits and Parsley Sauce, describing farming with Cyclone Gabriel. Well, stormy weather is still hanging around New Zealand. A little while back, we spoke to Lynn Webster, a.k.a. Pig Tits and Parsley Sauce, how she survived the flooding, but since then, she's endured more severe flooding up there in Northland. Good evening, Lynn. Good evening. Lynn, how did this last lot of rain affect your farming operation there and what warnings did you get to batten down the hatches? Well, we got a bit more of a warning about Cyclone Gabriel than we did um, the anniversary flooding and then Cyclone Hail, which was good. But um, yes, it blew us away here um, and flooded the place terribly. Like anything that I was complaining about last time I talked to you was probably three times worse but um, no, no stock or anything were harmed because um, we did have a warning, so there was an expectation that things were going to be bad, um, and they were bad here, um, and in Dargaville and up further north as well, but um, nowhere near as bad as the poor people in Gisborne and Hawke's Bay have had it. Yeah, you did mention that you were out without power for a number of days. We did, what about the water pump on your farm? Were you able to get some water to put through your cooler to cool the milk when you milked your cows? Well, I couldn't milk the cows because there's no electricity. Right. And the pump shed is obviously run by electricity as well. Um, yeah. And plus it's right down by the Hortio River, which did boost its banks this time, which I, I've watched it. The other times that it's rained a lot and it's come within centimetres of overflowing, but the cyclone Gabriel, that was the last straw that broke the Hortio back because it completely flooded. But obviously the, in the past, things have been built here to withstand it because the pump shed is elevated. Oh, yeah. So the pump shed was still standing up above all the water, completely surrounded like a raging a lake of water around it. Um, but the good thing about it is that when the power did finally come back on again, it was still going. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so my stock my stock didn't have any problems with water because we've got a big tank here as well, which gives you a few days' grace as long as you haven't got any leaks anywhere. Yeah. So how long were your cows before you were able to milk them, Lynn? How long did um, they go for? I must three milkings. I only milk once a day and in yeah. these circumstances 
that's really good. Oh, yeah. Because if you're milking twice a day, I guess the cows get impacted twice as badly. Yeah. But my cows are used to carrying around a bagatta full of milk because they only get milk once every 24 hours. Yeah. So it was probably about 60 hours that they went. Um, the power mm. down at the cow shed is different source from the power at the house. Yeah. So I had no power at the house for seven days, but the power was only down at the cow shed. Well, I say only. Um, it's all relative, isn't it? For yeah. three three days. So we had to throw... When we finally did milk, then the tanker couldn't come because the people from Fonterra were just getting trees and slips falling down in front of their tankers all the time. And in the end, they had to make the call, no, we can't even go and get the milk. So there's 3,000 litres of milk dumped here. Um, but then the power came on the next day and um, <laughs> just carried on, business as usual. Because you do need the power on all the time to keep your chiller going on your tank, don't you, Lynn? Oh, that's right. It's got to all be perfect. Otherwise, mm. that milk's not good enough to sell. So, you know, you're really totally reliant on, on power. Um, but, you see, I think that was stressful for me because I never ever knew when the power was going to come back on. But there's been people around the Dargaville and that, that their whole cow shed's filled with water. Um, and there's some people that haven't had power. There's some people... Close to here, there's just different pockets, depending on what power lines they rely on. Oh, they still yeah. don't have power, and there's cow sheds involved. People sending out the call desperately needing generators and things, but people are pretty resilient. Like, they'll, you know, get a generator, but the only milk in the cows for animal welfare purposes, you're not going to be selling that milk to anyone, because it will just go straight down the drain, because yeah, no one wants the yeah. warm milk. Oh, the question's gone out of my mind. But the tanker was coming every other day, did you say, or not? Yeah, the tanker was coming every other day, but the tanker, that the first I knew about the, that the cyclone was getting bad, I got a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning on the Sunday night um, when the cyclone was really whirring around, it was raining and dark, it was really scary, and I had to go down to the cow shed in the middle of the night because two massive trees had fallen down on the tanker track, and, you know, those milk tankers, they're so massive, he couldn't back out the way he came in. It was just impossible. Um, so he was stuck there behind two big trees, and um, we finally managed to get him rescued because the fire brigade just happened by chance to come past, and I flagged them down, and they, they were going around with, um, that must have been the Wellsford Volunteer Fire Brigade, what good sorts, going around with their chainsaws looking for trees, and I was like, hey, can you come and set this tanker free? And they, they were up there, and they got him chainsawed out of there within about <laughs> half an hour. So it was amazing, really. But, you know, that's all stressful because you I don't know, running around in the night and it's oh, raining and the roads yeah. flooded and, you know, I don't know, it's horrible. What were some of the other dairy farmers, or how did they cope in your neck of the woods there, Lynn? Well, I'm not really um, in touch with any other dairy farmers around here. It seems weird, but, like, in Taranaki, it's a, quite a close dairy farming community. Oh, but yeah. up here where I am, it's North Auckland, everyone's a bit far-flung. So I haven't had any communication with really any other dairy farmers. Um, any information I've had is just once the power came back on. I've seen a few comments on Facebook and a few photos of generators and people um, sending messages requesting generators um, and things so they can pump the, the floodwaters mm -hmm. out. Lynn, are you able to give us an update of what, the ro what state are the roads in up your way? Oh, it's terrible. It's like a lot of the focus on the news has been on the really hard hit areas of 
Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, but um, up here in Northland, we've been really struggling for ages, and the Brindawyn Hills got wasted by those first two hurricanes, let alone this third one. The Dome Valley, which is where I live, that road was closed for days and days, and you know, that's the main way of getting from Auckland up to Whangarei or up through the north. So it's just closed because there's just slips and stuff. And, like, it's probably dangerous, really, to even drive down it because those – it's all so wet and soggy. Those yeah. trees and slips, they could just come down at any moment. So, like, really, you know, you just want to not go anywhere for a while. And, the, and then the Brindurwins, which is to the north of Wellsford, to get to Whangarei, that's just a complete mess. Like, it's taken out by a massive slip. It's going to take – um, I would say it's going to take months and months to get that fixed. And do you know, even further north, there's a bypass called, uh, called the Mangamukas, which is how you get from Whangarei up to Kaitaia. Well, that fell down about a year ago, and it's still not fixed. Wow. So, you know, the far north is in tatters. It's hanging by a thread, and... Um, you can't even really blame Cyclone Gabrielle for the Mangamukas because no. that happened years ago. So it's just like, I, I don't know how the people up there must be angry because it's just a kick in the guts because they can't fix their road. Uh, we just hear so much about the far north there, Lynn, that it's good to hear what you're describing it as. Is it sort of needs a fair bit of work and money spent up there. Oh, it does, but I think that it's been neglected for any money for, for years. See, like, Gisborne is the same. It's just a forgotten part. Um, and their roads have been crap for ages and no one's done anything about it. But now, look what it's taken. Now it's going to get maybe some attention. But look look what it's taken. It's taken a, a, a complete devastation of that area for anything to be done about it. But they've been moaning about all that slash coming down onto their beaches for years. They've been moaning about um, State Highway 35 is so um, in such disrepair for years. But now it's been completely munted by the cyclone. Well, I suppose they'll have to fix it. But, you know, you'd have to ask why weren't these places looked after a little bit better in the first place? Yeah. But I guess at the end of the day, if a cyclone like that comes through, even if it had been a good road, it would still probably be munted. But maybe it wouldn't have. <laughs> maybe if all that slash and that hadn't whacked into all those bridges, maybe the devastation might not have been quite as severe. And what's your current grass situation, Lynn? The grass situation's fantastic, ironically, because <laughs> all this rain makes the grass grow. Oh, thanks for your update, Lynn. We're doing good luck for the future. Thank you. Here's Barbara Gurriga with what she's been doing over the last week, and she also pays a tribute to Chester Burrows. Well, good morning, Barbara. What's the weather like where you are? Well, Neville, I'm actually in New Plymouth this morning, and there are one or two uh, very tiny spits currently on the window. Uh, we're a couple of hours from having the multi-ethnic extravaganza and there's usually a bit of a parade uh, through the main street and then up to the race course um, and often, you know, tasting of various ethnic foods and um, music and a variety of things. And so I'm really hoping that for the sake of uh, their parade um, and their day that uh, they only stay minus bits or, or go away. But having said that, um, my thoughts are 
very much still with the people who have been flooded out of their houses, um, businesses have been ruined, you know, Hawke's Bay, Tauraferty, Auckland, Northland. Uh, a few spits on us today probably isn't going to do us any harm in comparison to what uh, those people have actually been putting up with. And the worst thing about the cyclones is that it's not just one, it's just repeat, repeat, and they keep getting more rain. And every time they get more rain, it's just like putting salt on sores, really. So, you know, just thinking about those families that still can't go back to their homes, uh, you know, families staying in different situations with various people just terribly, um, very hard, very worried about some of the um, the well-being issues on, on some of those people. But it does bring out the best uh, in the communities. Um, unfortunately, you do get a bit of the worst at times like this and, you know, a few uh, uh, naughty people come into the equation. But by and large, the majority of the community are very good and get stuck in and you know, try and help everyone to get to a better place. Um, this week, I really would like to make mention of uh, the Honourable Chester Burrows. Uh, my first memories of Chester uh, were back when he was a detective uh, in the police um, working on a case where some woman in Okanaki, my uh, hometown, had uh, a car had gone over a cliff. Uh, under suspicious circumstances, and uh, I just remember uh, some of that. And uh, Chester, that was that was my first recollection of him, uh, without knowing at that time that he was going to become a, a very good colleague of mine. I spent a couple of um, uh, terms uh, with Chester in Parliament. He was a, uh, a really good Deputy Speaker, uh, well liked right across the House, uh, and that's always good when people are. Um, you know, liked by both sides. Um, it um, it just shows that actually it's a, he's a person with an open mind, um, and he got on well with a lot of people. Um, he was a marriage celebrant. He did funerals himself, and unfortunately, uh, due to uh, cancer, he his own funeral came far too soon this week. So, um, yeah, he opened my office in 2014 when I became a Member of Parliament, so he opened the Inglewood office and I've got a lovely picture of Chester and myself at that time with these lovely little blue cupcakes with the most staining blue icing on them. Um, but, yeah, that was a good night and um, he was a good man. So um, probably for about, yeah, it is eight out of the last ten uh, weekdays I've uh, been spending my time in Select Committee I sit on the Environment Select Committee now as the conservation spokesperson and um, we've had very full days. We've had 2,500 uh, submissions come in and people are wanting to sit at the table and talk to us about things that they would like to see in a new revised uh, version, which is um, the proposal as it's being split into three bills. Um, look, I value public contribution to Select Committee, so it's where all parties proportionally... Uh, have the opportunity to sit in the room when there's a piece of legislation proposed and listen to all aspects of public thought uh, around that and have the potential opportunity to make it a better piece of legislation. Without that public input, um, I just don't think... The best ideas don't come out of Wellington. They need some practical people coming in the room to explain how it might work in their business. You know, we've had 
people um, uh, from housing organisations, from electricity, from telcos, um, you know, to irrigation, to, you know, individuals who want to come along and have their say. And um, it's just been very interesting. The input has actually been um, very good. So, yeah, off to um, tomorrow I've got uh, Sea Week at... Uh, there's a morning for Sea Week at Namutu Beach, uh, where a lot of the environmental organisations will be. So pretty keen to uh, get down and have a look at that. We've got a family reunion for Lewis's family this weekend, so catch up with some of the closer relatives that I haven't seen for a while, and um, and off to Parliament again, Neville. And well done, thank you, Barbara, for keeping us informed of what's happening around the place. Philip Duncan joins us to give us an update on the current weather situation. Right, well, we're over hump day and it's time to talk with Philip Duncan. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, how are you? I'm fine. But we are doing the weather and you're the man that's in charge of this and I suppose the most pressing one would be cyclone duty. Is that one you can put that to rest? Yeah, that one's been put to rest, and as well as Judy's twin, um, two cyclones that are side-by-side coming down out of the tropics uh, and, and following the same path, a bit like, you know, a train with its carriages behind it. So it doesn't really leave the tracks, which is good news for New Zealand following cyclones Hale and Gabrielle. Um, we don't need a, a third one, although we could still get a third one this season. You know, we're only at the peak of the cyclone season this month, and the tropics are very active again sort of as we go towards the end of March. But having two cyclones leave that area now, plus the other two that we had in January, that's four tropical cyclones that have left the tropics and taken energy with them. So so every time you get a cyclone, it does remove energy away from where it came from. So in some ways, it's a good thing to have those four uh, go. It does remove perhaps a bit of the risk, but we're still seeing a lot more low pressure up there. So even though anemia is pretty much gone, it'll be, I think, very likely confirmed gone in two weeks' time. By the time that happens, um, we, we're then still in the peak of cyclone season, so it's like one step forwards, one step backwards kind of thing. And so we won't be necessarily seeing a big change in the weather pattern as far as the tropics are concerned, but we are seeing now hints of an autumn weather pattern coming in, and that usually means more days with westerlies, not easterlies, and more storms down in the Southern Ocean, not necessarily over us, but down in the Southern Ocean, helping to produce those westerlies and cold fronts and bringing rain back to the West Coast, which has been remarkably dry, actually, for the last couple of months, with Taranaki kind of on the edge of that. Before we finish... What are the sea temperatures doing around New Zealand and Australia? Because I heard that they're up, is that correct? Yeah, so with with La Nina, it means that the sea surface temperatures are above normal around areas like the Coral Sea and Vanuatu, so directly to the north of us in the tropics, those areas. That's now returning back to normal as La Nina sort of fades away. So we're likely to see those temperatures way to the north up in the tropics return to normal. But then there's a marine heat wave going on around New Zealand itself, um, especially in the South Island. It's, it's well over three degrees above average the sea surface temperatures are. Um, and in the North Island, they're a couple of degrees above average. Great if you want to go swimming. So, you know, it's, it's a positive if you, if you love getting into the water. But if you are uh, more concerned about what it's doing to the weather, 
afternoon, it, it has the risk of bringing in bigger downpours. So if you've got afternoon thunderstorms or, or a small low pressure system that's parked off the coastline, um, it can add more fuel to that. So we can see bigger downpours. And at night time, it can add another little bit of extra warmth into the temperatures to coastal areas. If you live inland, well inland, um, it probably doesn't make a lot of difference to you, but it certainly does add a bit more instability to the weather that is hugging our coastal areas, especially slow-moving showers. They can they can take more energy from this warmer water and use it to produce heavier downpours. So there is definitely a consequence to having the warmer-than-average sea temperatures, but as I say, the biggest positive is if you're going out for a swim, the water should be lovely. So there's, a, there's definitely a silver lining to it as well. Oh, well, thank you for that reassurance, Philip Duncan, and I know that you've been under the pump lately, so I'll let you knock off now and go and relax. Thank you very much. I look forward to it. Cheers. <laughs> Let's go to Steampunk, capital of New Zealand, and listen to some sage comments about our current political situation from Jim Hopkins. Let's catch up with the Bard of the South. Good evening, Jim Hopkins. And this is still fairly dry down there. What are you getting any rain these days? Oh, Ned, look, we've had pluviality um, in abundance in the last couple of days. Has been uh, the, the heavens have opened, rain has fallen, and, and we can see the literally see the grass growing and the trees flourishing and the flowers blossoming and blooming in front of us. It's a, it's a joy and a wonder. Apart from the fact you get very wet and it's quite cold and generally speaking the roof leaks and it's no fun. No, it's <laughs> but other, other than that we've, got, we've had a bit of rain for the last couple of days, yes. A, Much can, needed I might add. There's a song, the railroad goes through the middle of the house but unfortunately some people on the west coast, the uh, east coast, sorry, the river goes through the middle of the house. What do you got to say about some of the causes of that, Jim? Well, uh... I mean, the causes are clearly climatic, well, clearly climatic and or weather. Now, I have read one or two articles suggesting that, um, perhaps this, uh, this episode of cyclones and the like has actually got more to do with the Tongan earthquake, um, oh, sorry, the Tongan subterranean eruption, mm-hmm. um, than it is with, with, uh, with, um, uh, global warming more particularly. And I mean, I think uh, from memory, I seem to read, read somewhere that, um, uh, that, 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 is, that that eruption threw about 146,000 tons of water into the sky. And that has all sorts of effects. It, uh, it tends to kind of cool the, up the stratosphere and warm the surface of the Earth, apparently. And at least one Australian meteorologist did actually predict that uh, exactly the sort of weather we've been having, you know, in Australia and here. And uh, this guy did say it's going to be... Um, uh, you know, it'll be the, the flooding summer, I think he called it, or the flooded summer or something of the sort. And, and um, I mean, I know the, the, the woke folk have been sort of deliriously happy to leap on the climate change bandwagon. And, look, maybe they're right. But then again, maybe they're not. And do you think the DOE brainwashed children who marched on Friday would actually entertain the possibility that that this, the, the prophets of doom are wrong, I doubt it. And I don't um, think they've done any maths at school either, so let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> or English for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh well. But, but anyway, I mean, I think one of the things that has emerged out of the, 
out of the really terrible, terrible events in the North Island is that um, forestry slash is not a good thing. And, well, actually, two things have emerged. One, one, that forestry slash is not a good thing. And two, there's a hell of a lot of it. And three, um, Stuart Nash is actually not quite as sort of uh, boldly determined to to deal uh, vigorously and energetically with this problem as some of his colleagues are with um, with other land uses like farming, for instance. I mean, I did hear one radio interview with Stuart Nash where he said, oh, uh, talking about forestry, that he didn't want to demonise one land use over everything else. Well, sorry, Stuart, mm. wake, up and, wake up and smell the coffee. That's exactly what your government's been doing, exactly. but particularly with dairy farming. I mean, you know, you see any sage and others have been banging on for years about dirty dairy and all the rest of it. And no surprise on Friday that the little 16-year-olds, however many there actually were, one of their demands, other, other as well as getting the vote, was that the government should only support, um, only support regenerative farming. Well, you know, <laughs> this is because the government's been demonising our principal um, overseas funds earner for, for ever since 2017, and they're continuing to do so. And mm. dear old Stuart saying, oh, we're having a quarry. Oh, but, but it's only about Gisborne. It's only about South Africa. And it's only looking at those area, that area up there. We're not looking at forestry in particular. And we're not, we're not looking at the rules and we're not going to change them. You'll go on Jamie Mackay's farming show and shed crocodile tears about losing good farmland. But have, have, has, the government, has the government changed the rules? No. Is there any sign they're going to? No. no. I mean, basically, anyone in the world can actually carry on polluting as long as they buy good farmland in New Zealand and they can claim 100% of all their emissions. No one else in the world lets people do that. And why is it happening here? Because the Greens and the Maori caucus have got the government over a barrel and they won't back down. No, I mean, seriously, they will not actually impose um, major changes. They might smack the foresters' hands and and sort of, um, you know, come up with a few modest changes, but if you're expecting any dramatic polluter pays rules or imposing of costs on forestry to come out of this inquiry that Stuart's organised, I think you're dreaming, to be perfectly honest, Nev. I really do. I'm sorry, but I do. Jim, we've got about a minute and a half. You're, <laughs> you're a playwright. Would yes. you like 120,000... Uh, was it 120 or was it 150,000? Yeah, 107,000. Look, um, sorry, I mean, I, I think the poem, I mean, the poem, or the, certainly the poem that ACT has objected to is, is undoubtedly a blatant incitement to racial violence. You can't get past it. It absolutely is. Um, more than that, it's just garbage. I mean, sorry, it's, it's ugly, cliched, clumsy, tiresome, tedious. I mean, you, I don't know if you've read it all, but I, mean, I won't bother inflicting it on you. But the thing that really yeah, he spun my wheels was a sort of wimpy boss of Creative New Zealand who rather deviously decided to justify his organisation's decision to spend the 107000 on a theatrical adaptation of Tusiasta Avia's poems. He said, oh, it's because the poem that 
well, the gut that has become the source of uh, debate, wasn't a manifesto, but rather it was a work of the imagination. I'm sorry, you totter. I mean, that's just a shabby justification of woke one-sidedness. Seriously, seriously, Ned, the key question that this guy should have been asked is, what is the author's attitude to the murderous imaginings in the poem? How do you think the author would have wanted people to react when they read it? I mean, the answer is clear. It is blatant. It is a blatant incitement to racial violence. Well, and actors said, and I agree with them, that the government should come out, denounce the show, declare that it will give nothing to racism and withdraw the funding. And they really should, and they won't, and they're getting away with it because the media simply won't challenge them. Well, that's very good. Thank you, Mr Hopkins. I'm out of time and so are you, but I enjoy your little chat that we have every fortnight. So well done and thank you, Sir James. Well, that's it, folks, for another week. Remember to come along to hear Finlay Cameron, Scottish Piper, at our Clan Cameron Haggis Evening at Upside Down on Thursday, March 16th. And I'll be back next week with more interesting rural news. Ka kitty and more. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to www.accessradiotaranaki.com.